0: To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800 835 6747. Once again, that's 800 835 6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor.
1: Hello, friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? The Velvetia is one of the strangest plants in all of the world. Firstly, because they're unusually ugly. Of course, that might be a matter of opinion. They've got two large strap-like leaves that continuously grow from a short, woody, unbranched stem along the ground. Over time, the ends of the leaves die and dry, forming a twisted and frayed bundle at the base of the plant, like a big rat's nest. They're also interesting because they live a very long time. Carbon-14 dating of the largest plants have shown that several individuals are at least 1,500 years old. Some are believed to be as much as 2,000 years old, making them the oldest plants in the world. Even though they've got a shallow taproot, these incredible plants survive and thrive in the deserts of Namibia, where temperatures can easily reach 130 degrees. How do they do it? During the night and morning, they absorb any moisture in the air, That's a good lesson for all of us to make the most of what little we have to get through fiery trials. What do you think, Pastor Ross?
2: Some things we can even learn from an ugly plant like that. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at the pictures, you don't think, well, it's not much to look at. But it's a fascinating plant. For one, it lives a very long time, more than 1,500, almost 2,000 years. Of course, redwood trees are known to also live for a very long time. But here is a A plant almost just like a bush. Yeah, like (laughs) a plant. Something else interesting about the plant I was looking at. It releases a a red pigment when it's very hot in its leaves, and the leaves actually turn reddish, which helps to reflect the radiation of the sun. And when it's uh, cooler in the desert areas... Then it releases more chlorophyll, and the leaves turn a very bright or deep green, which helps to absorb energy. So, uh, and I'm guessing that they must taste awful, or some camel
1: would have eaten them (coughs) before 1500 years. Some animal would would eat it, but they must smell or taste terrible. (laughs)
2: They leave them alone. (laughs) (laughs) So here we have a plant that's able to endure incredible hardships. It patiently waits until the moisture comes. And it's able to just thrive under these very difficult conditions. It reminds me of some Christians who are able to thrive even though they're going through some difficult trials. Yeah. When I lived up in the mountains, um, I lived in the desert mountains for several
1: years and, uh, well, about a year and a half. And they have barrel cactus up there. Mm. And during the dry season, they they shrivel and they get skinny. They got pleats in them. And then if you have a rain in the desert, you know, a day or two or a few hours of rain, you'll see them. They soak up every drop Mm. of water and they literally, they swell up. And they slowly then use that water to uh, survive. So that's what a Christian needs to do. As long as we can, we need to soak up the living water, the word of God, and uh, store our minds with truth to get us through the times of trouble. The reason that Noah survived the flood is because he stored it with food and resources. He couldn't drink the salt water to get him and the other animals through that storm. And friends, now is the time for us to be storing up the truth of God's Word and the living water of God's Spirit to get us through the, the fiery trials that come. There's a verse in the Bible, Pastor Ross, it's in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy. God promises he can get us through those fiery trials, and those trials actually shape and prepare
2: us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We have a book that gives... Encouragement, some biblical principles of how we can endure trials and difficulties. The Bible tells us everyone who chooses to live a godly life hmm. will experience difficulties and trials. So how are we to react when these things happen? The book is called When the Brook Dries Up. That's why do Christians suffer? And I think it will be an encouragement for, for anyone going through some difficulties. Uh, just call and ask. We'll be happy to send this to anyone for free. Hmm. The number to call is 800-835-6747. And again, just ask for the book. It's called... When the brook dried up, and I think it's referring to the story there, Pastor Doug, of Elijah, when he was right or during the three and a half year drought in Israel, when God provided water and food at the brook, but then the brook dried up, Yeah, and yet God had another plan for where he was to go. Yep. He, he always, if that happens, he will uh, supply another way, and he did. Absolutely. Again, we want to welcome those who are joining us on the various outlets, those joining us on Amazing Facts TV. We are live, and we're welcoming your questions, also those listening on radio, both in various local stations and mm-hmm. on satellite radio on Facebook, uh, Pastor Doug Batchelor Facebook page, as well as the Amazing Facts Facebook page. So again, welcome. Thank you for being a part of the program. If you and have the Doug
1: Batchelor now YouTube page, too. Oh, and the YouTube page. Right. That's right. Yeah. We're
2: also on YouTube. If you have a Bible-related question, the phone lines are now open. So this is a good time to pick up your phone and give us a call. The number is 800-463-7297. Again, the number is 800-463-7297 with your Bible question. If you don't get through right away, stay on the phone and Mm -hmm. one of our phone operators will answer the call as soon as they can. Well, Pastor Doug, before we go to the phone lines, we always like to start with a word of prayer, so let's do that. Dear Father, once again, thank you for this opportunity that we have to be able to open up your word and study together, and Lord, it's your book, so we ask for the Holy Spirit to come and guide us, lead us all into a clearer and a full understanding of Bible truth found in the scriptures. Be with those who are listening, wherever they might be, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to go to our first caller this evening. We have uh, risen in uh, Los Angeles, California. Rizzo, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you, Pastor Doug. Thank yes. you, Pastor Ross. Uh, it's been a year or so since I uh, spoke to you, but I don't want to go around the bush. I want to go direct to my question because I know you have a lot of uh, people who want sure. to ask questions. I have a question about jewelry. Mm-hmm. I, I heard your message about, about jewelry, and you said that jewelry caused people to have pride. I I, I wore jewelry in moderately, okay?
1: Uh-huh.
3: And jewelry, gold around my wrist, reminds me of heaven, that I'm going to be walking in this street of gold. It doesn't give me pride at all. Well...
1: Uh, so are you it, want it, do you it, want it, me to give you I the bible you reasons five. yeah do you want me to give you the bible reasons uh, for what i said
3: there, it, it, i'm I'm not done with my question yet if you if you can finish me up okay uh in the Bible, there are references about jewelry, like the prodigal son, the father gave his son a ring when he came back to him, mm-hmm. and also in psalms uh, with David, it's full of jewelry there too. So I don't know what's wrong with jewelry when it comes to moderation. Uh, jewelry. So go ahead, Pastor Doug.
1: All right, you thank know, you, I love, uh, Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the... it. And a matter of fact, I could even add to your argument. Um, it tells us in Ezekiel about how God adorned his bride with jewelry. And so I'm not denying that people in the Bible wear jewelry. And and let me make it very clear, in in case anyone out there misunderstands, there's going to be a lot of people in heaven that wear jewelry. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't know. I've answered that question many times, so I don't know which answer you heard. Sometimes it it focuses on a different aspect of it. But um, I was saying that there are a number of scriptures in the Bible that uh, talk about jewelry being connected with pride. And one of them is in Isaiah chapter... I think it's Isaiah chapter three. It says, the daughters of Jerusalem are proud and they go walking and mincing as they go. And uh, and it describes all their jewelry in detail. Um, and then you can even read about Lucifer. It talks about all the precious stones that covered Lucifer. Um, when the children of Israel went out of Egypt, jewelry was money in Bible times because they had no paper money. And so they used to trade with jewelry. When uh, Eliezer wanted to give a dowry to Rebecca, it says he gave her a bracelet. It tells how much it weighed because it was, it was money. The children of Israel ended up making a golden calf out of their jewelry and worshiping it. And so uh, many Christians through history have believed that because of statements where Paul says, let the adorning not be the outward adorning, the wearing of gold and putting on apparel. And Paul talks about not with gold or pearls or precious uh, adornment but with modesty. Um, and, and so people, they're, they're wondering, well, if I just wear a little bit modestly, how's that? Um, I take the position that, you know, how much is too much? So, and by the way, I have a book written by the same title, and you may have read that. And it's called Jewelry, How Much is Too Much? And the reason is that uh, sometimes by your example, some people, they... You know, they're concerned about uh, their appearance. They, they have low self-esteem and they, you know, they put on a lot of jewelry um, and it can be a stumbling block for somebody. So to avoid having anyone else stumble and let's face it, a lot of people wear a lot of bling and they spend a lot of money. And so, you know, if something's going to make your brother stumble, don't do it. it Paul says, you know, if, if uh, eating meat's going to make my brother stumble, he's talking about eating meat offered to idols. He said, I won't eat it. I don't want to do anything to make my brother stumble. There will be people in heaven that drank alcohol. I don't drink any alcohol because some people will get addicted and it's a bad witness. I also think there's good health reasons. So um, I think the reason is, you know, for Christian modesty. A few years ago, I'll say one more thing on that. Um, a few years ago, a number of televangelists got into trouble. Uh, they fell morally and it became very public. And But these same televangelists, they were always parading their their Rolexes and talking about their Bentley cars and their wives were always dressed in very flamboyant attire, lots of jewels. And, and the world was making fun of them. And they said, you're begging for all the money from these poor people and look at how you're, you're bedecked. So I've always taken the position that I think if a Christian's going to make a mistake, make a mistake on the side of modesty. God is not going to say to me when I stand before him in the judgment, Doug, I can't let you in. Why not? Lord, you didn't wear enough jewelry. So I know some people out there think, boy, you're... You're kind of radical, but maybe.
2: Well, you know, God knows the human heart better than we do. And uh, if God asks us not to do something, ultimately it's for our own good. You know, we find an example in the Bible in Exodus chapter 33, before the children of Israel were to enter into the promised land, one of the things that God told them to do is remove all of your jewelry. He he knew that that would be a stumbling block for them. And of course, like you say, we want to set a good example for those around us. So, Risen, I'd encourage you to call and ask for that book. It's called Jewelry, How Much is Too Much? And that's for anyone. Wanting to know, what does the Bible say about this topic? Mm -hmm. The number to call is 800-835-6747. And again, just ask for the book. It's called Jewelry, How Much is Too Much? We've got Mark listening in Tokyo, Japan. That's where the uh, Olympic Games were. Mark, welcome to the program.
4: Yes, hello, uh, Pastor
2: uh, uh, Doug and uh, Pastor uh, John.
4: Actually, my question is, I think it's a very simple one, but yet I get so much opposition in this question. And uh, in, this, in this particular bi- Bible verse, and it's Ecclesiastes 9.5. Okay. For the living know that they will die, mm-hmm. but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. And, my, and what I'm having so much opposition in is the very last verse of, for the memory of them is forgotten. My version is the memory of the person that is deceased, that is dead, that is now sleeping. Their memory is wiped out and gone. But I'm getting people saying it's the memory of people that are alive that knew them. And I'm thinking, well, my parents died many years ago, and I still remember them. So I'm not – somehow or other, I need clarification on this particular Which – what is me?
1: What is it? What is forgotten when it says the memory of them is forgotten? You know, I'm looking at the Young's literal translation here, and it words it For the living know they'll die, but the dead know not anything, and there is no more to them a reward, for their remembrance has been forgotten. And I think if you go by this, Solomon is saying it, it could be taken one of two ways. Solomon, I think, here is saying that, uh, you know, over time, uh, people do forget about the living. Uh, But I think it also could be said that that person's memories, uh, they're not thinking anything when they're dead. So it doesn't mean they're not going to be resurrected to have any memories, but it just means that they're they're not remembering anything when they're dead. So there's kind of two ways you can look at that verse, but either way fits with, you know, good theology.
2: And of course, the memory of those who are forgotten, uh, it's talking in general terms. There are certain individuals, I mean, our family members, our parents, that we would remember. But even if you think back you know, four or five generations, even in your own family, do you remember much you're about in a history your book, Yes, yeah, your ancestry. <laughs> so I, I think it's talking in general terms. The reality is that uh, when a person dies, their own memory ceases in death. But over time, their, their contribution to this life. Uh, is also forgotten unless it's interesting. Unless they played a role in helping to lead others to Christ, and then that gets perpetuated. Right. So uh, we can uh, have a memory, and that is in sharing Christ with others. Does that help, Mark?
4: Yeah. So, so in what you're saying is really it, it's kind of a dual answer. It, it's really uh, the dead, per- the person that is now sleeping's memory is now forgotten, and then the people over time and forget about them. Mm-hmm. and what, they, what their uh, actions and what they've done on earth. Yeah, Solomon,
1: been... you look at the, the uh, what do you call it, the context of everything he's saying in chapter 9. He's saying the important thing is, is life. He says, to all the living there is hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Uh, you know, and he says uh, several times he talks about, you know, as a man dies, so dies a beast He's saying, you know, if you're if you're making your treasure down here, it's really a waste because this life is temporary. That's what he's really saying. He concludes the whole book by saying, What's the conclusion? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. So he's basically saying, Don't live for this life alone. Think about the life that will last, because you're going to die, and this life will be over. So but if you fear God and keep his commandments, there is a judgment. And obviously, there's a judgment, there's a reward. So that's how he concludes the whole book.
2: All right. Well, thank you for your call, Mark. You know, we do have a study guide. It's called Are the Dead Really Dead? And it talks about the subject of what happens when a person dies. We'll be happy to send this to anyone in North America. The number to call is 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the study guide. It's called Are the Dead Really Dead? We also have a website. It's called deathtruth.com. And, of course, you can access this website anywhere around the world. And it's filled with all kinds of uh, wonderful Bible verses, sermons, study material. So if you want to learn more about the subject, take a look at uh, deathtruth.com. Next caller that we have is Robert. And he is listening from, uh, let's see, Robert is in Washington. Uh, Robert, welcome to the program.
3: Okay, yeah, I have a question for, uh, about Isaiah 65,
4: verse 23. Yeah. It's, uh, they shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. Okay, I had always understood this to be talking about the survivors of the seven-year tribulation period, and this is talking about the thousand-year kingdom, and those are the children born without trouble. What is your take on that?
1: All right, great question. Um, Keep in mind, Isaiah's prophesying before the Jews were attacked by the babylonians he lived quite a a while before that but he's foretelling a time when they would go through a great trouble but um, there would be another period of peace when they would come back and their descendants would be blessed and uh, that was during the time of ezra and nehemiah god watched over them but it's really a bigger picture of talking about heaven and you can read here if you go back to um oh verse 17 for behold i create a new heavens and a new earth And the former will not be remembered nor come into mind. And so he begins to talk about just, there'll be no more weeping in Jerusalem. My people will be a joy. Uh, You know, it's like Jesus said, there's no more pain or suffering or sorrow in in Revelation 21 and 22. So it says, they'll not plant and another eat. They'll not build and another inhabit. They used to plant their vineyards. And then the, like in the story of Gideon, the Midianites came and took all their produce or they chased them out. They'd move into their houses And he said, you will long enjoy the fruit of your hands. Now, I don't think it's saying there's going to be new births. It says you and your offspring, meaning you and your children, will enjoy the the benefits of this eternal, peaceful kingdom. But I think that's after the millennium.
2: Yeah, if you look on a few more verses, verse 25 says, the wolf shall lay down with the lamb and they will feed together. So that's clearly talking about uh, the earth made new at the end of the 1,000 years. It's also interesting, specifically Pastor Doug 23, it talks about um, you shall not bring for tr- children for trouble and your descendants will be blessed of the Lord, your offspring with them. So, you know, the family unit will still be intact in heaven. That doesn't mean that you're going to be giving birth to children in heaven. Uh, The children that um, you have here that perhaps will be alive when Jesus comes or have died and are resurrected, the children will grow up in heaven, but the family unit will still be blessed and there won't be any fear for the future.
1: Yeah. And it's actually the, it's the antithesis of what Jesus said on the way to the cross. He told the daughters of Jerusalem, Mm. don't weep for me, but weep for you and your children Mm -hmm. because a great trial was coming. Here he says, your children will be safe. Right. It doesn't mean they'll be procreating. It right. just means that you'll your
2: children will be safe in the new kingdom. They'll have peace. All right. Well thanks, cool, Robert. Hope that helps. Uh we got uh Josin or Josin. Josie, I think it is, in Washington. Jos Josue, welcome to the program.
5: Hello. Hi, I'm welcome.
2: Now how do you say how your name?
5: You? Um, you say it Josue. Josue, Josue. Okay, okay. Thank okay. thanks. Yeah. Um my question is on 1 Samuel 28. Okay. And my question is how would I explain to a new believer that because in that chapter um Saul wanted to get to Samuel but he wasn't alive. And so how would I explain to a new believer that Samuel wasn't alive but the Bible says he was. For example in verse 15 he says and Samuel said to Saul. How would I explain someone like that
1: yeah well i think that uh, for one thing the context is does a witch have the power to resurrect a believer does the devil have the power to resurrect a believer and i think the you know the unspoken answer is well and that would really be bizarre i think it's saying this apparition that looked like samuel so for the means of telling the story they got to say what do you call this apparition Uh, you know it claims to be samuel Uh, And there's another place that uh, Pastor Ross, I think, is going to right now in Chronicles, where it explains what Saul did. And it says, Saul actually died, not just because of his pride and his rebellion, but because he went to a medium. And uh, he was consulting evil spirits. The Bible says, do not go to a necromancer, somebody who speaks to the dead. Paul said that uh, uh, people, when they worship idols, they don't realize they're worshiping devils. And the Bible talks about uh, Satan and his devils that work miracles. Satan himself can be transformed into an angel of light. Uh, you know, Satan can bring down fire from heaven and create illusions. And so there's just a lot of scriptures that uh, explain that there are evil spirits that can masquerade this way. You have that, Pastor Ross?
2: Um, I'm just looking for a passage. I found the one in First Samuel, which is the one we're talking about. Let me yeah. see if I can pull it up here. I, I'm familiar with that verse. So you yeah, got to get it, the wording just right.
1: Yeah, it talks about how you yeah, yeah, in Yeah, it is. 1
2: Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13. That's the one it Go says. Ahead. Um, it says, so Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. So there we, it says. It's not law. It's it not Samuel, It's a
1: familiar spirit. Yep. And that's what that's they right. use for demons and <laughs> fallen angels. Does that help a little bit, Oswey? Yes, it does. All right. Hey, thanks so much for your question. We do have a lesson on the Witch of Endor, and um, it's in the historical series of the Landmark
2: uh, series, Mm -hmm. and it's called, I think, the Witch of Endor. Uh, If you'd like to learn more about that, uh, I think in this case, uh, go to the Amazing Facts website. You can actually read the lesson for free online, Mm -hmm. and it's called the Witch of Endor. It's part of the historical set of lessons or the Landmark set of lessons, both of those. Next caller that we have is John, and he's listening in Florida. John, welcome to the program.
4: Well, I'm calling on behalf of my wife. Uh, we've been studying, and uh, we are I'm not as knowledgeable, obviously, as you guys. And uh, she's wondering why Seventh-day Adventists keep uh, Catholic Holy Days. Such as? Easter primarily, but Christmas, and uh, I guess these were based on pagan holidays well, and her coming first, from orthodox yeah. they follow different days obviously than they do here in america all right well and, let, let's jump um, in here first of I, all
1: yeah seventh day Adventist when you say keep them we don't we don't uh we, we don't have a special mass on christmas or easter uh we meet in other words there's if easter's on wednesday I, I don't know any churches that say, let's get together on, well, Easter's always on Sunday, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know any churches okay. that get you together on Christmas. Sunday. Yeah. And, yeah, Christmas on on Wednesday, we don't all flock to the church and, and uh, have a mass or anything like that. So we, we certainly don't. And, and whether or not it's one denomination or another, we want to know what the Bible says, right? That, that's the main thing, John. Figure
2: exactly. So, I don't know, you want to jump in, Pastor Ross? Yeah, you know, I think it's important for us to understand a little bit. I mean, we're, we're quite open and honest. Uh, we don't believe Jesus was born December 20... What is it, the 25th of December? <laughs> we don't believe Jesus <laughs> was born December 25. And I think there's some good biblical reasons for that. We know the history a little bit about that. And, of course, Easter, um, to peg it to one particular... Uh, weekend, uh, it still moves in the calendar. So even Easter is not exactly the time. I yep. mean, if uh, you go by the days, they'll move throughout the week, and they pick a Sunday, and they say, well, this is yeah, the day. It may day. not land on the Passover It doesn't one. always land yeah. on, a, on a Sunday. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's nothing wrong in celebrating or remembering uh, the resurrection of Jesus. That's an important event. Sure. also remembering the death of Jesus. But to keep that day as a holy day, as somehow being a sacred day, I think that's, that's the issue. That's the concern. Yeah, there's no Bible command to exactly. do that.
1: Uh, but it, it is a scriptural event. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if if you want to remember the Thursday when Jesus had the Last Supper, well, I guess you can't. No one else celebrates it. But I think we ought to preach on everything Jesus did. And uh, But, um, yeah, there's no... Um, there's no command that we're supposed to
2: celebrate his birth on No, one of the things we try to do, Pastor, talking about that around Easter time, uh, we try to do a communion service. Some are connected around that time of the year. Now, of course, we don't always get it on the day. It doesn't have to be on the exact day. But it's kind of neat when the rest of the world is talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for us to recognize that through the institution that Christ himself established. That's not a sin to give somebody a present on the uh, 23rd of
1: December, huh? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you, could do that. you know, if people are giving presents in, in remembrance of God's gift, that's probably as good a time as any.
2: Well, you know, we do have a book. It's called, uh, what is it called? Feast Days and Sabbaths. No? Wait. There's another Baptized one. Baptized Paganism? That's the one I <laughs> I was looking for here that actually deals with some of this, and we'll be happy to send that out to anyone who calls and asks. Just ask for the book called Baptized Paganism, and the number for that is 800-835-6747. All
1: right, friends, don't go far. We're just taking our midterm break. And we'll be back in a few moments with more Bible Answers.
0: Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. What if you could know the future? What would you do? What would you change? To see the future, you must understand the past. This intriguing documentary, hosted by Pastor Doug Batchelor, explores the most striking Bible prophecies that have been dramatically fulfilled throughout history. Kingdoms in Time. For more information, visit KingdomsInTime.com
2: I really wanted to start a new devotional habit, but life got in the way. Next thing I know, we're a month into the new year, and I'm like, what's the point of starting? Then I saw 365 amazing answers to big Bible questions. Each day is a single study, so you can start anywhere on any day and not miss a thing. They're crisp, clear, and enlightening.
0: Get yours today by calling 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com.
1: The Jews are some of the most unique and gifted people in the world. And even though Judaism is one of the smallest religions, about 16 million globally, they still manage to have a profound impact on history wherever they go. Yet even though most of the Bible was written by Jews and Jesus himself was Jewish, the Jewish people can be among the most resistant to the Christian religion. Well friends, this is why Amazing Facts has recently produced a fascinating three-part DVD series called, Is Jesus Kosher for Jews? In these new programs, Steve Wolberg, Jeff Zerminski, and myself, all who share Jewish background, relate our personal miraculous journeys of faith in a winsome way, and we consider together the controversial question, are Jesus and Judaism compatible? You will personally be inspired by these life-changing stories. Call today, 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com.
0: You're listening to Bible Answers Live! To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800 835 6747. Once again, that's 800 835 6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live.
1: Hello, friends. We're just so thankful that you're joining us for Bible Answers Live, and we're very thankful now that we're on TV. We're on AFTV that you can not only see on the Galaxy 19 satellite, I think you just go to AFTV.org and watch it streaming. They can see it on YouTube, Facebook, Doug Batchelor Facebook, Amazing Facts Facebook. And we're going to continue to expand the stations that will not only play it on radio...
2: But be playing it on television. I'm Doug Batchelor. My name is John Ross. And again, we want to welcome all of those who are joining us. We have a number of folks waiting online. So we're going to go straight to the phone lines, past Doug. And Should we tell people that at the end we're going to take a bonus question? Oh, that's right. Yes. I nearly forgot about that. So for those of you who are listening on radio, uh, we're going to have a A short break right at the end of our program, but don't go away because we're going to come back with a very interesting Bible question. Now there might be some who are listening on satellite radio and you might lose just that last question, but for those who are listening, social media, Amazing Facts TV and other radio stations, you'll probably be able to join us for that bonus question. So stand by for that. It'll be at Uh, the end of the program. So what if someone do if they want to send us uh, an email question? If you want to send us an email question to get on that bonus question every week, all you'll need to do is send an email to BALQuestions at AmazingFacts.org. You see the lower third there on, on the screen. BALQuestions at AmazingFacts.org, and we'll try to answer as many of those bonus questions as possible. All right. Very good. Thank you. We've got Miss Rowe listening from Virginia. Uh, Miss Rowe, welcome to the program.
5: Hi. Thank you very much for taking my call. Um, yes, we're glad you um, called I, in. Yeah. Um, My question is, I want to know if Jesus is abiding in me. It's been three years since I studied the Bible, and I want him to abide in me. But I'm the master of my heart, I feel. And I love Jesus, but I think I I, I love myself more. I choose to serve myself more than I choose to serve him. I have some improvements in some areas, but I feel like I don't do those things with my effort. I mean, I do those things with my rather rather than depending on him. Hmm. It's hard to obey him and often fail to do so. I pray and enjoy studying his words and I desire to know him, not as knowledge, but with my heart. I want to really know him, but I know that I don't love with the love of Jesus. I don't endure with his endurance and I don't obey the way he did. When I ask others, I'm told that the fact that I want him providing in me is exactly the proof that he does, but I don't, and, 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 I don't want to doubt it if he does, but I also don't want to assume and be confident about it. In fact, well, if in fact I don't let him yet. So what do you think?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, you are not alone. There's a lot of people out there, they, they want to love Jesus more. You know, if someone came to Christ and they said, Lord, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God with all is a full-time job. And so for the the Christian... You always want to be uh, feasting on the word, looking to Jesus, talking to Jesus. And it's, a, it's an ongoing discipline because in this life, you know, we're weak. The devil is constantly trying to distract us and derail us. And God's very loving and patient. So don't get discouraged. But you want to grow as a Christian. And so you, your devotional life, the three most important things you can do to grow spiritually is read the word, pray, pray and share your faith. Do something to try to help others. Love the Lord, and love your neighbor. So
2: yeah, go ahead. You know, we got a book, Pastor Doug, it's called Three Steps to Heaven. And I think it emphasizes those very three things that you're talking about, the importance mm-hmm. of prayer, Bible study, sharing our faith. And it's an ongoing spirit. It's the apostle Paul, this champion of faith. And you, know, you just look at the things that he did. He is a prophet inspired by the spirit. And yet he said, I have not obtained. He said, I die daily. So it is an ongoing daily experience where we have to surrender ourselves to Christ. And uh, we might not be where we want to be, but we should, by God's grace, not be where we started out. There should be spiritual growth and progression. The Christian life is, Paul says, it's a fight. Mm -hmm. It's
1: a race. It's a wrestling match. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but it's still a lot better to be a Christian than to be lost in the world and be a slave of the devil. Mm, Absolutely. So, you know, there's some struggles. But... uh, Feast on the word.
2: And don't give up. You know, every, yeah. every Christian has those mountaintop experiences where you sense the presence of God and you're filled with joy. And, you know, it's just wonderful. But you also have those moments where you don't feel that close to God. It's at those times that you need to exercise faith and believe his word that he said he'd never leave us nor forsake yep. us and hold on to his promises. Absolutely. So I hope that helps a little bit, Rogue. Get that book, Three Steps to Heaven. It's free. Just request it. And we'll send it to you. The number to call is 800. 800- uh, 835-6747. You can ask for the book. It's called Three Steps to Heaven. We'll be happy to send that to anyone who calls and asks. <laughs> We've got Jill listening from New York. Jill, welcome to the program.
4: Um, in First John 2.15, it says, Love not the world, nor anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, how do you balance that with John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, and then I have another verse in question with that.
1: All right. Well, as far as loving not the world, and uh, then God says, God so loved the world. When the Bible tells us, you know, you look at the context of how something's being used. Uh, When the Bible tells us to love not the world, it's talking about worldliness. And then is it James that says, if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. God wants us to love lost people that are in the world, and God so loved the lost people in the world, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, he's not talking about the sin in the world, because that world's going to pass away, and the lust thereof, so he's defining what about the world is going to pass away, the sin and the lusts of the world will pass away, but he that does the will of God will abide forever, again, that's John chapter, 1 John 2, verse 15 through 17,
2: and the famous verse, John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world, it's talking about the people in the world. It's not yeah. talking about the rocks. Uh, he loves people. He came to save people. Yeah. And we ought to have that same love for people. But yeah. there's a difference between loving people and loving the evil things in or the world. Worldliness. That's right. Which is different. Yeah. There is a difference.
1: So you, the, you had another second part of the question?
4: Yeah. Um, um, yeah, Matthew 5. 44 kind of, kind of maybe answers your question a little bit. It says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. But then in James four, it says friendship with the world is enmity towards God.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, you caught it. So we, we kind of touched on that verse. Um, the, the Lord wants us to love everybody for the purpose of saving them. It doesn't mean we love evil and we certainly don't endorse bad behavior, but, um, yeah, matter of fact, one place God said to was it King Jehoshaphat, "Why will you be friends of those who are enemies of me?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was making the league and
2: supporting Ahab, mm-hmm. so we're not to love worldliness. Okay, but, thanks. Yeah, for Jesus call. died
1: for all sinners.
2: Uh, we got Barrington listening from New York. Barrington, welcome to the program.
4: My question is this: um, the, baptismal, the baptismal formula in uh, Matthew twenty-eight. Yes. Why the disciples didn't follow that? Um, Baptismal formula when they were baptizing in Acts, the book of Acts.
1: Yeah, well, you're correct that there's no record of the disciples saying, We baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't think that we should uh, assume that they never did. So in Acts, I believe it says three, at least three different ways it says, Baptize in the name of the Lord, baptize in the name of the Lord, baptize in the name of Jesus. Uh, and so the exact wording is different in almost every case. I think two of them are the same in Acts. So I wouldn't get hung up on the wording. You know, when Christ said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, and then in Peter it says to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And um, it says baptize in the name of uh, Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. So. Uh, are, are you thinking that it must be uttered a certain way, or are you just wondering why there's different terms you, that yeah, are used? Yeah, be,
4: because Jesus says in, in Matthew 28, all authority is given to him in heaven and on earth. So, why why not baptize in his name?
1: Well, I think that the disciples did baptize in the name of Jesus. Uh, well, in our church, we try to cover all the bases. We say, I baptize you in the name of the, the Father, his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, but um,
2: yeah. I also think in Acts there's a clear distinction being made you're right we are to baptize in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and I think that's very clear in Matthew chapter 28 it's not saying that the disciples never prayed that way or baptized I should say that way but I think the point that obviously was in contention at the time of the early Christian church was Jesus and his position as the Son of God as the Savior of the world most of the Jews accepted the fact that God is God, the Father is God, but it was the Jesus question that raised a lot of dispute. So I think where we have it mentioning Acts chapter ten, verse forty-eight, uh, Luke is just making it very clear that these were people being baptized into Christianity, into Christ, and yeah. that was the point that was being emphasized. Yeah, I just uh, looked
1: it up real quick. Um, it says baptized in Acts two thirty-eight in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts eight sixteen baptized in the name of the Lord. Acts 10.48, the name of the Lord. Acts 19.5, the name of the Lord Jesus. So the wording is a little different, but I think that they the idea is, are you being baptized into the name of the uh, the God of the Bible and the Messiah Jesus, as Pastor Ross was saying. So, um, you know, let, let me just give you an analogy real quick. That's not something we should get hung up on because baptism is very much like marriage. It's a public covenant that you're following Jesus. And Pastor Ross and I are pastors, we're we're ordained, we do weddings. And when we do a wedding, the important thing about wedding covenant is that the two individuals getting married know who they're making the covenant to. Some weddings I might say, Bill, do you take Sally? It's a little informal. Uh, Other weddings I might say, do you, uh, William... Randolph Hurst no not him but anyway <laughs> you know Mary, Mary Bettina James or whatever you know just the whole name and it's very formal either way you do that wedding when they say I do and there are witnesses and they sign that document they're married so you know the the wording in the ceremony is never emphasized in the bible as that is supposed to be the important thing they all knew they were getting baptized in the name of uh, Jesus Christ and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God of the Bible.
2: You know, we have a book. We called do. Baptism Is It Really Necessary. I've actually pardon me. Oh we have another I've got a book called The Name of the Lord. There you go. The Name
1: of the Lord talks about baptism and what name do we get baptized in.
2: That might even be a better book. I mean, both are available. You know, you can ask The Name of the Lord or the book Baptism. Is it really necessary? For those who aren't baptized, we want to encourage you to prayerfully consider this. It's an important step and um, you might want to call and ask for that book. And then also ask for the book that's called The Name of God. The number to call is 800-835-6747. And again, just ask for those free books. If you're outside of North America, you can still read it by simply going to the Amazing Facts website, just amazingfacts.org. Next caller that we have is James, listening from uh, New Orleans. James, welcome to the program. Thank you, sir. Uh, my question is, is there any
4: opportunity to be saved after the rapture?
1: Is there an opportunity is to be saved after the rapture? To be saved? Okay, we're yes, going to bring your volume down. Sir. Your your, phones, your cell is having a problem. Um if you look in Second Peter chapter 3, it talks about the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night in which the heavens pass away with a great noise and the elements melt with fervent heat. The day of the Lord is when Jesus comes back. You can read in First uh, Thess- Thessalonians chapter 4, The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will be caught up. That's the rapture. We get caught up. What happens at that time? Thessalonians says the wicked are destroyed by the brightness of his coming. And so, um, no, I don't believe there's any chance once the Lord comes and people are caught up, we're of the opinion that the tribulation happens before mm-hmm. they're raptured up, not after.
2: So you go through what we call the tribulation. The Bible speaks about the seven last place being poured out. God's people are protected during that time, just like the children of Israel were protected when the ten plagues came mm-hmm. upon Egypt, then they were delivered after the plagues, so God's people are protected during those seven last plagues, but then when Jesus comes, um, the righteous are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, the wicked are destroyed at the brightness of his coming, as Second Thessalonians tells us. We also need to remember that just before Jesus comes, there is a universal death decree according to Revelation chapter right. 13, passed against God's Faithful people, mm-hmm. so Jesus comes to the deliverance of His people, and uh, the wicked are then destroyed with the brightness of His. Yeah, and it's
1: not just the Jews, as some That's of my right. uh,
2: friends believe. It's yes. it's talking about any believers. You know, Pastor Doug, I think this is important. This is an important Bible truth for people to understand. I've actually heard people talking about this, and uh, he wasn't a believer, but she was. And his argument was, well. I'll wait until suddenly she disappears and then I'll know that what she says is real and I'll get my act together and I'll seek after God. Right. Repent during the seven years. Well, it's going to be too years. late, right? Yeah. I mean, when Jesus comes, it's a, there's no second chance. So it's a good point you bring up, James, something that uh, I think we need to study out. We do have a, um, a book on the topic. It's called Anything But Secret. It's mm-hmm. talking about the second coming of Christ. And we'll be happy to send it to anyone who calls and asks. The number again is 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the book. It's called Anything but secret. And of course, you can read it outside of North America just by simply going to the website. Uh, of course, if you're in North America, you can read it too yep. at the website. We've got Derek listening in Minnesota. Derek, welcome to the program.
4: Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. I had a question, and it's sort of like, you know how the first angel message mirrors the Sabbath commandment? Um, I noticed in Genesis, in the New King James Version, Genesis six or 3.16, and then in Genesis 4.7, like the three sixteen it talks about um like Eve and the desire will be for the husband, and he'll rule over you, and then when you go to genesis four seven it says like sin lieth on the door, and it'll be your desire, and it'll rule over it, or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's weird how it's like the language is kind of mirrored in both of those verses and i didn't I didn't understand it like is there some like symbolism symbolism there?
1: you know that's a good point, um of course uh, you know, one is a statement where God is talking about the, um, the consequences of sin in Genesis chapter three with Cain. He's saying that a sin, sin wants to have the mastery of you, but you should rule over it. You should subdue it. Don't resist it. Uh, and he would not resist his pride in that sin. He ultimately killed his brother. But, uh, you know, I, is there a connection between those two? Uh, I can't spot one right now. Sure, I mean the verse, the wording similar, but
2: the wording is similar. But I think the, 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 probably the idea, in my understanding, is when it says, "Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it." It's kind of referencing that carnal nature, that that sinful nature that we we've inherited. Sin shall as not result. have dominion over you. Yeah, we've inherited from from uh, you know Adam and Eve and our parents all the way down, but the Bible tells us that by God's grace we are to rule over it. In other words, it's not mm-hmm. to rule us. Right. So it's not a sin to be tempted, but by God's grace we are to resist that temptation. We are to rule over that temptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what we find in this verse. Yeah. Well, thank you, Derek. We've got a lot of calls lined up. We're going to try and get a few more in. We've got Sherman. Uh, Sherwin, I should say, listening from Canada. Sherwin, welcome to the program.
3: Hi, good evening, Pastor Ross and Pastor Doug. Evening. Hi, my question is about the the sancti uh, the justification and sanctification. So I've always believed that justification sanctification sort of a linear process. But now I'm thinking. So every time I sin, really I get justified if I ask for forgiveness, um, and then uh, and then so on and so forth. So it's it, it's it's looking like it's more recursive or it's in a cycle rather than it's linear. And then eventually glorification comes. So my my confusion is is the justification and sanctification process is it linear or more of a recursive? All
1: right, I think I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, let let me give you another way to look at it. Uh, you know, when Jesus died, he provided justification for all that believe. And I'm looking at three verses in Romans that talk about that: Romans 4:25, Romans 5:16, Romans 5:18 talks about resulting in justification of life. Think of justification as that through the blood of Christ, he filled an ocean that will wash away sin. Uh, that, he does that once. We may need to jump in that ocean several times and have that justification renewed. But, you know, he was justified once in another. He provided this justification for those who will uh, take advantage of his offer. Um, when he died on the cross. He died for the sins and he poured his blood out and it was adequate for the whole world at that point. But you you and I often have to renew our justification. That's why Paul said, I die daily. Dying daily is not just sanctification. Dying daily is asking for
2: I want to be resurrected, new life, and, and have a f- refreshed justification. You know, we have a book that you wrote, Pastor Doug. It's called Assurance, Justification Made Simple, and deals with this very subject. That's right. And I think uh, anyone would be encouraged by reading this. The number to call is 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for the book written by Pastor Doug. It's called Assurance, Justification and Made sure, when Simple. And Sherwin in Canada I can read that online. That's right. Um, we can send it to Canada, anyone in North America. That's right. So, yep, you can read online or... If you in North America, we can send it to you. We've got David listening in Hawaii. David, welcome to the program.
4: Hey, Pastor. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, my question is in regards to the 2300 days in Daniel chapter 8. Um, specifically, how does it tie to the Day of Atonement? Um, the context in Daniel chapter 8 is that the sanctuary is being cleansed because the little horn has desecrated. But the context of the Day of Atonement is that it's being cleansed because of the sins of the repentant. Also, the word cleanse um, is not the same Hebrew word in Daniel chapter 8, verse 14, as it is when it's referring to the Day of Atonement. And lastly, why is the day-year principle applied when it says evenings and mornings, and we don't apply that to other prophecies like Jesus' prophecy about being buried three evenings and mornings or in the creation account?
1: Okay, well, you got several questions there. Hopefully, we can, we'll try and cover some of them. Can I start with your last one though? Uh, the last yeah. one you're talking about. Why do we apply the, the the day for the year? You you know either way you do it. If in Daniel chapter eight, it's talking about the ultimate cleansing of God's people, which occurred on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement happened once a year. So if you say that this is two thousand three hundred years, or days rather, and you apply the day for the year principle. Well, then it's 2,300 years. If you say, well, it's 2,300 days of atonement, and the day of atonement comes once a year, it's still 2,300 years, because you're talking 2,300 days of atonement that come once a year. So I think it's real easy to support the that this is speaking of a year. Uh, the other thing is Jesus, he did use a day in the year. Uh, Christ, after John the Baptist was arrested, Uh, Jesus told his friends. I think this is a Luke chapter. Let me see. It is a Luke chapter um, thirteen. I forget. He said, "If you type in the word fox, you'll find it." Uh, Jesus said, "Go tell that fox that I teach and do cures and cast out devils today, and tomorrow, and the third day I'll be perfected."
2: That's Luke thirteen thirty-two. Thank you.
1: Yeah. So it wasn't Jesus. Did not teach three more. This is six months into his ministry. He did not teach three more days. He taught three more years, but he was making a prophecy. So the only way Daniel 8 works is if you do apply the day for the year. And the context of it is the ultimate cleansing of God's people.
2: And of course, we only apply the day for a year principle when when we're talking about Bible prophecy. And clearly, Daniel is a prophetic book. There's a lot of imagery that's used. You wouldn't apply this prophecy talking about the six days of creation because that just wouldn't make sense. Not so in instead context. of talking about six days, try and make it 6,000. It doesn't work because, for example, you have vegetation created before you have the sun. So, I mean, that's clearly six days. And Of course, then the, the seventh day God rested and he blessed and he set it apart. Can I make a suggestion? I want to try and get one more call, Pastor Ross. Yeah. David, we have a
1: magazine that we just came out with. It's called Divine Design and it goes into Daniel chapter 8 in great detail. You've asked some great questions. We need 25 minutes to answer your questions or more than that so please look at the magazine and uh, i think it covers all of your questions and that'll let us take one more caller
2: okay absolutely we've got let's see we've got Jalen listening in atlanta georgia Jalen, welcome to the program
6: hey how are you guys doing today?
2: good thanks for calling
1: and your question tonight yes sir.
6: yes sir i'm gonna make it quick so it's on tide. Um, can you hear me well we can all right. Beautiful. Beautiful. So I've been doing a, um, I actually saw a video about, um, ties and I heard you speaking, uh, Pastor Doug, about it. so I just did some research just on it. Um, cause there's a lot of controversy on it. And when I did my research, however, I pinpoint ties to just mean, uh, produce, grain, let me see, livestock, oil, uh, wine. And, um, the only time I see tithes mentioned with money, however, is when I see it says in Deuteronomy, it says if the journey be too long, you should sell your tithes, you know, coming from agriculture that they have. Produce, right? And you can use the money and go to wherever the Lord that like God put in. You can buy wine, strong drink, but that's a whole nother subject. But anywho, you can, that's the only connection I see with tithes with money. And it was for the Levites, you know, they were, and they right, so in the temple. I
1: so I want to wrap it up. We're and, gonna we're gonna run out of oh, time, so I've got oh, to oh, l- yes, sir. let so, me let so,
6: me. So my question, oh, I'm sorry, you got it. Just, just real quick, my, yes, sir. yes, sir. My question was, how does pastors receive tithes? If they were for the Levites, and pastors don't come from the tribe of Levi and whatnot. And uh, it was never no right. money.
1: Let, let me let me answer that as quickly as I can. You are right; it was an agricultural society. Many of the people, the way they would pay tithe on their increase, and there's a lot of verses on that. You can read Malachi it says, bring all the tithe into my storehouse, is they'd bring their grain and so forth. Clearly, by the time of Christ, uh, they were giving money. You've got the widow that gave her two mites when she came to the temple. And the priests would, they'd cast their gold into the temple. The Levites, you could pay uh, money. Uh, they had a temple shekel, and the, even Deuteronomy talks about that, that uh, people would pay uh, it would, the main idea was to support the priests so that they could continue to minister to the people through the year. And so they would bring tithes, whether it was the grain or the sheep or the agriculture, or you, know, you could trade that in for money. The thing was, they were to be supported of the increase. We've got a lesson on that
2: called... In God We Trust. We'll send you a free copy. And the number to call for that is 800-835-6747. Again, you can ask for the study guide. It's called In God We Trust. It's a pretty exhaustive study on the subject of tithing and what is the responsibility for a Christian. So call and we'll be happy to send that to you. Amen. Well, friends, this is about the
1: fastest hour in the week. It seems like we just build up momentum and the hour is gone. Uh, We are coming back in just a moment with another bonus Bible question, but we've got to sign off with our friends who are listening on satellite radio right now. Otherwise, stay tuned. We're coming back with some internet uh, Bible questions in just a moment.
0: Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Hello, friends. Welcome back for our Bible
2: Answers Live bonus question. Now, again, if you have a Bible question and you'd like to send it to us, you can email us by simply emailing your Bible question to balquestion at amazingfacts.org. And we'll try to take as many of those in this segment of the program. Here we go, Pastor Doug. First question for tonight. Are aliens real?
1: Well, angels could be accused of being aliens. And so does God have life on another planet? Uh, I believe yes. How Do angels visit our world? Yes, and we know they're good angels. Uh, evil angels have been cast down to earth according to Revelation 12. I don't think UFOs and E.T. are coming. But I need to let our studio know, oh, he's doing it okay. I wanted to see how much time I had left on the clock. <laughs> um, but uh, no, the people that says I had a UFO where I was captured by aliens and they did experiments on me, I'm very dubious that that happened. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, next question that we have. We're going to try and get as many as we can. Do I have to go to church to be saved?
1: Well, there'll be I think there'll be people in heaven that didn't go to church because, you know, the thief on the cross was saved in the final hours of his life. Uh, there are people who maybe are sick and they can't physically go to church or they're so far removed from a church they can't attend, and that will not be an obstacle to their salvation. But um, if a person loves the Lord, and if Jesus said the church is his body, and we learn to love the Lord by loving each other, and if the church is the medium through which God communicates the gospel of the world, why would not a christian want to go to church and so i'd i'd wonder about if a person's committed to following the bible he said in uh, especially after covid everyone's wondering do i have to go to church to be saved friends uh we need to start getting back into the habit as mm-hmm. you know your local laws allow do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together and the sabbath was called a holy convocation there's something that happens jesus said when you come together in my name we need to come together in the name of the Lord.
2: And you know, we can even sense it in our, in our congregation, in our experience, Pastor Doug, when folks have been separated from each other for an extended length of time, even though they might be watching online, uh, you begin to, I don't want to say grow cold, but your your spiritual... Uh, fervency can begin to diminish if you're not inspired by others who believe the same thing, yeah. who want to worship God, where you sing together, where you pray together. It's it's needful for a Christian. We can't live by ourselves. Yeah, we need the we need the
1: accountability. Mm-hmm. We need the encouragement and pray for one another. And so, yeah, I think it's real important to come together, friends. We want to remind you this program exists entirely because people like you uh, believe in what's happening here. We are a hundred percent supported by supporters. And so thank you so much. You can just go to amazingfacts.org and uh,
0: donate. Keep us on the line. God
1: bless. We'll study next week.
0: This broadcast is a previously recorded episode.